Welcome to another episode of St. Joseph's Workshop. We invite you to join us today as we explore the history and traditions surrounding the celebration of All Saints and All Souls Day. We will also discuss alternative ways that families can celebrate Halloween with a focus on the faith. Welcome to St. Joseph's Workshop, building the church at home, a place where faith and family meet. Insight from a priest, a mother, and a whole bunch of others. I'm Emily Lugo. And I'm Father Jason Cargo. Join us as we enter St. Joseph's Workshop. Emily, good to be with you again today. And um, I got to tell you about an artist that I'd recently discovered. Okay. And her name is Angelina Jordan. Okay. She's 15 years old, but she has this really famous song called I Put a Spell on You. It was originally uh, created or performed by Hocus Pocus, right? And it's made popular be- around Halloween because people, you know, spells and all that kind of crazy stuff. But this little girl, uh, remarkable story. She's 15 years old right now, but she sang this song when she was 10. And uh, she actually won uh, Norway's Got Talent when she was seven years old. Oh, and wow. she is just a remarkable voice, just amazing. She did, a, at age 15, a, a recreation of Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. This is like, whoa. <laughs> she can do Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston. She can do um, all the different artists just off the it's it's amazing what what she can do with her voice. It's just crazy. Yeah, that talent. I can't say that I've heard that song before. So is it actually from the musical from um, Hocus Pocus? You said. Yeah, I'm I'm not exactly sure uh, where it comes from. I'm not that up to date on 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 music and stuff. But I, I know it's the the song I got. I put I put a spell on you and and um and there's growling happening during this thing. <laughs> I think that's a that's a vocal thing for like you know where you you, you kind of go loud and stuff uh, with your voice. But yeah, it's extraordinary. So you know, Angelina Jordan. Um, is uh, one of those remarkable talents. One of the things I like to do is to see these prodigies and see how they develop and grow. So here's a, for our listeners, if they want to check out Angelina Jordan, uh, you could probably find out some stuff there. Yeah, I'll have to listen to her song. Well, you know, speaking about hocus pocus and and growling and whatnot, <laughs> you know, we're on that season where we're coming up to um, Halloween. So I say season, you know, I guess secularly, when you go to the grocery stores, you see all of the Halloween candy out and the costumes. And of course, liturgically, we have a, a different season that we're coming into. But yeah, just, it goes from Fourth of July to <laughs> back to school to Halloween, right? Yes. <laughs> and here we are. And then the day after, it'll be Christmas time. Um, so we're in the midst of all that. But just talking about Halloween, Father Jason, you know, did you celebrate that growing up? Absolutely. Are you kidding me? <laughs> As a boy, able to get candy for sure, you know. So, and we would dress up in all sorts of different ways too. So uh, we would have. I remember being. Uh, wrapped in all this uh, clothing as if I was the Tin Man one time, <laughs> and my brother was another uh, character off of the Wizard of Oz. Um, I remember uh, dressing up in all sorts of different uh, ways, but we'd go trick-or-treating and have our little jack-o'-lantern um, holders where we could get candy inside, and and then we'd come home, and then we'd cr- make little... Um, graphs of what kind of candy and how much <laughs> of that kind of candy, you <laughs> know, house, yeah, keep it out. <laughs> you know, so, oh, you know, the chocolate bar, uh, uh, category versus the, the, the small little sucker category. So, you know, yeah, we, we had, and then we would 
obviously measure that out. We want to eat it all at the same time. So, but yeah, had a, had a good time with Halloween. Good, good restraint on you for not eating all that candy at <laughs> once. I remember like my earliest memory of Halloween, um, my brothers and sisters and I using pillowcases to collect the candy. We, you know, we didn't have a little, you know, Halloween pumpkin bucket. No, we wanted <laughs> pillowcases. And literally we would come back with that pillowcase full of candy. I mean, it was crazy. What was the choice candy? What was the thing? Oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, it's been so long. I think any anytime you can get chocolate, of course, the like Snickers that's better. Snickers bar. Yeah. You know, you got a full Snickers <laughs> bar. You're like, yes. <laughs> now it'd be like, can I get Ghirardelli chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> Higher quality. <laughs> well, you know, it's crazy just how much, you know, society kind of builds up around this quote unquote holiday where it's really just, you know, another scheme for um, selling candy and and consumerism and whatnot, but there's really Christian roots to what's going on during that time. So I'm curious if maybe you can just kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah. You know, Halloween is interesting, Emily. So, um, it's, it's a, it's a holiday, if you will, a secular holiday that has this mix of all these different sources and, and, uh, and so it, it's important for us to kind of look at all those and, and, and recognize them. So, uh, you know, the very name of Halloween actually shows forth a, a Christian source, right? So I like to say, okay, the day of all saints is all hallowed, right? Mm-hmm. So think about the Our Father. We pray the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, Howard is his name. No. Howard. <laughs> <laughs> hallowed, hallowed be his name, right? And so um, hallowed means holy, so it, it means all that is holy. So actually All Saints Day, which is November 1st, is the day that is hallowed, is of the, all the holy ones, right? So the eve of All Hallowed Day is Halloween, the evening of that which is hallow, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. So the very name of it has a very strong Christian uh recognition. So, but it is this mix of this different thing. So there is a, a, a component where it, it had some a pagan past and there's a Christianization of that. And there's a real strong Christian component, but there's also a component of anti-Catholicism woven into the whole trick or treat thing uh, comes from Guy, Guy Fox day from England and which is very anti-Catholic uh, process. And, and then there's a, also the harvest festival. So it's a, like this conglomeration of all these different things. So I just want to go over this a little bit just to, for our listeners uh, to understand it a little bit more. But um, a lot of historians would say the origin of this comes from uh, the Celts or the Druids uh, way back when, um, you know, 2000 years ago. And this was November 1st was considered the beginning of their new year. And so they would say that this was a a time where um, the spirits would roam and wander and all that. So uh, there was a Christianization that began happening, obviously, uh, within the Roman Empire after the Edict of Milan in, in the year 325 and the Emperor Constant, Constantine. And uh, ultimately, the church looked for opportunities to take uh, kind of secular holidays and to Christianize them. And so one of the things that uh, we really uh, looked at it was to say, okay, how can we... Um, how can we celebrate uh, the fact of all the saints, all the martyrs, which was celebrated actually at an earlier day, May 13th, and it was moved to November 1st to really kind of take advantage of this this um, pagan 
day and try to Christianize it. Um, There's nothing wrong with us Christianizing um, previous um, practices as long as those practices aren't against um, uh, the church, right? So uh, to say, okay, we're going to, to make this harvest time period which was what the kind of the Druids and Celts were kind of focusing on at this end, you know, end of the, the end of the sun and end of the, the kind of the temperate weather. And so it's beginning of a new year. So let's Christianize that with the celebration of all the saints. And, you know, let me just ask you a question for clarification is, is this like the official church is taking these different pagan holidays and, and in the move to evangelize saying, okay, we're going to take this holiday, but we're going to, we're going to celebrate it now because of this, or was it more like grassroots, organic, subtly, you know, people kind of doing something, but making it lean more towards like their Christian faith? You know, that's a good question. Um, and it's a, it's a great question. And in a little bit, we'll talk about that with regards to Christmas, but, um, I think it's probably a little bit of both, you know, ultimately the church isn't going to, uh, ratify the, the Pope, let, let's say in this case, it was Pope uh, Gregory the fourth in 835, where he formally moved from May 13th to November 1st. He's just not going to ad hoc do that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not what leaders of the church do. You know, you think of uh, uh, Pope Francis recently, whenever he announced that there would no longer be like this liberal use of the extraordinary form of the Roman rite, right? The 1962 Missal, or also what people call the traditional Latin Mass, that still exists. And but he's he's not saying he's saying that every priest does not have the intrinsic right and faculty to celebrate that. Well, that wasn't out of a vacuum, mm-hmm. right? He consulted all the bishops around, right, and and talked to them, and this was over a period of of process. And the same type of thing uh, would happen with regards to moving a feast day, for instance. I think that's, uh, and we'll see that as we talk about the the Christmas holidays later. You know, I I find it really interesting because you have, you know, this history, I'm sure years and years of tradition from these different um, pagan cultures celebrating this. And so... In this form, you know, the church is, is evangelizing. It's, it's kind of assuming this holiday and it's using it to evangelize and to create and catechize. And I find it interesting because it shifted right from pagan to this Christian focus. And yet, you know, in common times, it kind of almost seems like it's shifting back to this, you know, pagan celebration and the way that people are doing it, especially if you look at like young adults, college campuses, the way that they celebrate Halloween, you're not seeing people dressing up as uh, saints or, you know, thinking with their mind leaning towards that. It, it definitely is very much consumerism, um, you know, opportunity to dress up some pagan activities sometimes, or even the movies that you see on TV are so horrible and gory and graphic that I know a lot of people shy away from even celebrating it because they don't want to give power to that. Well, yes, you know, and that reminds me of a story. Can you believe I have a story, Emily? <laughs> so, so this was when I was uh, at a student at Texas A&M University. Whoop! And um, my twin brother was at the University of Texas in Austin. So anyway, um, so I was uh, visiting my twin brother in October, and there was a fraternity party that we were supposed to be going to, and and I think this was 1990. Uh, three October 1993, we're freshmen in college, right? And I don't know anything about um, UT and Austin, and but there's this party, and and um, so we we went to the party in West Austin. We, it was at a 
at a someone's apartment house. And so we parked down the street and we, as we got out of the car, we heard these drums, boom, boom, boom. And we thought, wow, that must be a live party down the street. <laughs> I mean, that, we, we got to go see the band, right? We just kept hearing those drums, boom, boom, boom. And so we thought, okay, we'll go to this party that we're supposed to go to and show our face. And if, if it doesn't pan out as really fun, then we'll, we'll go to this live band party. So we went up to the, the party with the, that we're supposed to go to. And it was kind of, it was kind of lame. <clears throat> we were there for a little bit and then we decided to leave to go to this live band party. So we went outside. Once again, we heard those drums, boom, boom, boom. And so we decided to start walking towards where those drums are coming from, right? So we get to a, a house and then uh, that shared a backyard, I guess the backyard backed up against the backyard of this other house where the live music was coming from. But all we could hear was the drum beat, boom, boom, boom. And so what we, we climbed up a fence to try to look and there was a bunch of bamboo and stuff uh, next to this old house and we couldn't, we couldn't, <laughs> We couldn't uh, see what was going on, so we decided to look through the bamboo, and it was like about five feet of bamboo, and so we oh started wading our way through this bamboo. All the while, we heard these drums, boom, boom, boom. And we get to the very edge of this old house, and the paint is kind of flaking off. Of course, it's in the middle of the night, and the moon is shining, and and um, and uh, we're single file because the bamboo is so thick, and we just have a, a single file path along this this uh, old house, and... and um, I'm number, I think number two in line <laughs> and there's five of us. And so the number one in line uh, gets to the edge of the house where it opens up to where kind of where the garage is. It's kind of one of those garages that come behind the house and circles in and, and uh, all of a sudden he stops. And I'm like, dude, why do you stop? You know, let's, we, the, we're right back. at the drum. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Right. And, <laughs> And so we kind of push forward and we get, get around and then we, and then we see why he stopped. So right in front of us was this guy with a cow skull and he had goat leggings and had blood smeared all over his chest, the red stuff all over his chest. He was swinging this big stick and had a whistle in his mouth because he, he blew the whistle and they all stopped what they were doing and they looked at us. Oh. <laughs> to his right was the guy with the drums. He had two bones, two femurs oh that gosh. he was banging on these, these drums. And he had some kind of crazy stuff going on with his stuff. And, and I was like, oh my goodness, what did we just walk into? are we going to survive? I mean, what kind of ritual, pagan ritual are we in is, you know, and, and there was just a couple people around and it didn't look like some kind of Halloween costume party. It looked like some like yeah, cult. cult type of thing. All of a sudden I hear a rustling behind me and I look and my twin brother had taken off with my other friend <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not too far behind him. So we get to the, the other side of the street and we're missing one of my friends. And um, we didn't know where he went. He was gone. <laughs> so we were all concerned. Of course, if you were a regular adult, you'd go back to try to find him. Right. And, um, but, um, 
we figured, uh, you know, he could handle himself. And <laughs> <laughs> where did he go? <laughs> I know, exactly. So anyway, uh, we said, okay, if we don't see him, hear him by middle of the morning, the next morning, then we'll call oh, the, the police. <laughs> so uh, he comes stumbling in about eight or nine in the morning and we're like, what happened? He's like, man, after you guys left, I, I figure it couldn't get any crazier. And, you know, when you guys left, they all started swinging the thing again and they started beating the drums. And so I decided to walk to the front of the house to see what was going on. And I went inside the house and he said on one side was a bunch of people having um, indecent group activities. We'll just say that. And then on the other side was people in a circle holding hands doing uh, chanted something. And then he said, I walked all the way to the kitchen because I was looking for beer and there was just a lady blowing bubbles and I asked her for beer and she said, no, we only have blood and handed me some red substance, which he said he put away and he didn't take it. But, and then he walked outside to where the drums were and everyone was gone. And so he walked on to another party. Wow. So, um, the moral of that story is that kind of crazy stuff happens, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, that and around Halloween, that kind of crazy stuff happens on college campuses and, and out and about, you know, it has become like more and more, you just look at the costumes, right? There's a sexualization of the costumes and it becomes more and more graphic and more and more macabre and more and more, uh, all that. And so it leads some people to say, you know what, this is an evil day, you know, and we shouldn't participate at all in this. And our kids aren't going to do anything with regards to Halloween. And a lot of Christian family it creates a big tension. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've noticed that in, in, in your family. <laughs> I, the do tension. Have, I actually have that tension in my home. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say how that tension is? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, as we mentioned in the very beginning, you know, I grew up where the innocence of trick-or-treating was just a part of my family culture. You know, we went out and we did it. It was for the candy. We had fun. Um, my husband is from Mexico. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> that was one of our little buttons that inadvertently got pushed, but I guess it was meant to be because your husband's Story from time. Mexico. <laughs> the fairy tale. Um, yeah. So, you know, he's from Mexico and I, and I would say it's a part of his culture, but maybe, you know, maybe it's not a blanket statement that everyone from Mexico believes the same things he does, but especially where he's from and his um, faith community, it was really, um, it was really taught to them that it is a day where people are celebrating the devil. And if you participate in any of these activities, then you're giving power to that. Um, and I know that from the very beginning, when we had our first you know, son, I'm thinking like, oh, let's dress him up. It's so cute. The Knights of Columbus have this Halloween party. Let's go to it. And really, truly from the beginning, it was definitely a tension between, um, you know, whether we can celebrate it or not. Cause I almost felt as if my, my children were missing out on this childhood experience of getting candy from strangers <laughs> as odd as that sounds. Um, and, it, and it's something that like, honestly, father Jason, it, we, our children have never gone trick or traditional trick or treating because of that tension. So we've found ways as a family that we've been creative of, okay, how can we give our children this experience, but how can we bring faith back into this? Because, you know, with my experience with um, youth ministry, you know, I always talked about how can we redeem Halloween? Let's look at the Christian roots. And it was something that I really enjoyed teaching families about. Um, so I kind of had to do that in my own family just so that my kids had these experiences. And, um, 
You know, we've had some really beautiful things. Like we we have friends who we've kind of paired up with and we've done All Saints parties where the kids have dressed up, of course, as saints. Um, you know, you could do a gruesome saint if you want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there are several who were beheaded or burned at the stake. Um, but we always made this learning component in it where, okay, let's talk about why we're celebrating what we're celebrating. Um, we did one year, this is probably way out of my comfort zone, where we actually did a reverse trick-or-treating where the kids dressed up and we actually went to homes that rather than saying trick-or-treating, we, I think we said like, you know, happy All Saints Day. And we gave the people that we knocked on their door little saint cards um, that kind of taught them about what it was. That is so awesome. Yeah. I love it. So, I mean, that was a very bold, you know, that was my friend's idea. And I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> who are we? We're walking through the neighborhoods. Um, but it was fun. You know, like everyone who opened the door received us well. They gave the kids candy. That wasn't our intent. Um you know, but we had a way that we could evangelize a little bit. It actually, that, that was in the neighborhoods here around St. Joseph that we did that. Um, so there are ways that families That's a great way to Christianize yeah. <laughs> that whole experience, you know. I think a lot of people uh, mentioned just briefly earlier about how trick-or-treat comes from Guy Fawkes Day from England, right? Which was like November 6th, I think. And uh, the whole idea there was that uh, Protestants would go and... Uh, say trick or treat on this day to Catholic homes. And you had to give um, uh, something to them or otherwise you would get a, a trick, like something bad would happen to you, right? Into your home. And that was kind of extended into the um, the early experience of the colonies here in, in America. So uh, that anti-Catholicism. And so the whole idea of trick or treat actually had its origination in kind of this anti-Catholic component. So what you did and your family did, which is really cool, is taking what was and then Christianizing it and saying, we're going to participate in it, but we're going to do it in a way that will bring good and bring um, about an evangelization of the Catholic faith, right? So it's turning, it's on its head. I I remember when I was at St. Monica, you know, full of all sorts of creative ideas as a young priest and, and, uh, you know, a lot of people think of haunted houses during Halloween, right? Mm. And uh, you know, I, you know, when I was in college, I I ran a haunted house and had um, <laughs> nothing bad really happened. But anyway, um, unfortunately, the re- reality is there's a lot of um, you know, there is people who do have infestations of their house of of evil spirits, and that's not anything to play around with. But what we did at St. Monica is for the older school students is we created an all hallowed house. So we had a room where there was these different stations and different places and, and it was all dark and dimly lit and, and all this. But as you mentioned about some of the saints stories, which is kind of gruesome, you know, uh, we kind of explained their story and then, then you would experience part of their um, martyrdom, if you will. So like, so like St. Lucy, right? St. Lucy, um, her, her martyrdom involved her losing her eyes. So she's the patron saint of those with eye problems. Um, so for this all hallowed house, we had, uh, the children hear about St. Lucy losing her eyes and then putting their hand in a bowl of water with a couple of grapes. (laughs) (laughs) And you can imagine their minds going crazy on that, but you know, you know, it sounds crazy as you say, but that actually, 
is such an awesome way to catechize and to bring alive the faith to our young people, especially our teenagers. I can imagine that they would love doing something like that where you're, it's a learning experience. And, and then what is at the heart of that? You know, the fact that they gave their life for their faith and for their God. And we're all called to do that. You know, I, I really like that. I, I definitely think that, you know, th- this is something that for me personally, we've, we've kind of struggled with, like, how do we find that tension? Not tension, but, you know, how do we, how can we celebrate so our kids aren't missing out on this experience, um, but make it a learning moment for them. And so I, you know, I'm really happy with that. And I know that there's so many different churches and even um, church groups, like mom's groups that also have that same passion that are trying to take it back, if you will, like, let's reclaim it. Let's bring the faith back into this experience. Um, you know, I know that some churches will do the trunk or treat Mm -hmm. where rather than going to house to house, you know, it's a more safe experience. And even there using the decorations where they're decorating it based on saintly or churchy things, not necessarily the gruesome, gory things of, of what society is putting out there. So I think that there are ways to do that. And I think it's important for us to not shy away from being creative, you know, especially if it initially was, claimed as a way to evangelize and share Christian faith with others, well, let's not let it go. Let's take it back and keep on teaching. Exactly. So I think that's a, that's a point, Emily, is that by participating in Halloween, it doesn't mean we're advocating some sort of crazy occult spirituality, right? So no, we're not, it's not that it's, it's, taking a secular holiday and entering and bringing Christ into it, right? So as as Catholic Christians, we're not we're not called to to hide away from from things. We're we're called to to bring Christ into them, you know? And as long as they as long as we don't get sucked into a situation where we're at a party where they're banging on drums and has horse skulls on their head and and, and drinking blood, you know, obviously they're don't get yourself in that situation. But um, I think with our children to, to celebrate it, but to have them dress up, there's a certain aspect of dressing up, which is good. Um, dress up as saints, learn about the martyrs, because that's really the origin of uh, All Saints Day is about the martyred saints. Um, and also uh, take the opportunity to to give a treat, um, like offering the, those saint cards to people. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful way to Christianize the 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 day i think um i think also the other part of this uh emily is something that we see from mexico with all souls day and uh of course we know all souls day is this day where we pray for the dead um for the for the deceased but one of the things one of the components of in mexico of all souls day is that they have this sense of we're not going to let death be something that we're going to be afraid of Mm -hmm. right so there's a sense of, and, and we have that with Halloween that, okay, the things that normally we'd be afraid of, like spiders and, and like, um, uh, scary scenes or something like that, we're making a, a, a mockery out of it as if to say, we're not afraid of those. Okay. So, um, not to glorify them and we never want to glorify anything, but to say, I'm not afraid of the spider or I'm not afraid of, uh, of the, graveyard, <laughs> you know, um, actually, you know, a lot of times you think of Halloween and graveyard scenes and all that, but actually November 1st begins the month of November. And it's the, the month that we go to cemeteries and we pray for the dead, right. During the whole month of November. So, um, so let's, I think let's take 
uh, these this this holiday and let's Christianize it. Yeah, I like that. Well, let's so let's you know you mentioned in the beginning that All Hallows Eve it's the basically the vigil for All Saints Day. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, you know, I, it's on the calendar. Sometimes it's a holy day of obligation. Other times it's not. What's the rule? Um, what's the rule for that? And what is it this year? The rule for that is it is almost always a holy day of obligation. Uh, basically, if it falls on a Monday, it's uh, the, the USCCP, United States Conference of Bishops, has decided that if it falls on a Monday, that it's no longer a holy day of obligation. It's still a solemnity, meaning solemnity means a very, very important day. And so it's encouraged that people go to mass on a solemnity, but it's not a day of obligation where uh, we say that um, you have to go. Otherwise, uh, unless you have a good reason, there is uh, sin involved. Um, I believe likewise, most of the time when it falls on a Saturday too, uh, it, it is rescinded. The, the obligation is rescinded. But if it falls on a, a Tuesday through Friday, absolutely. There is a uh, uh, that sense of obligation to go to mass and to celebrate, and and what are we celebrating? It's, we're celebrating all the saints in heaven, right? We're celebrating the communion of saints. We're celebrating. Originally, it had the sense of the, the the martyrs, but we now celebrate all the saints who are in glory with Jesus. Uh, our patron saints, our confirmation saints, the ones that we talk to, the Blessed Virgin Mary, who's the queen of all the saints. We we uh, have all of those um, that we honor and we look to on All Saints Day as inspiration so we can live out our faith here on earth. So for us here at St. Joseph, uh, this All Saints Day, it does fall on a Monday. It's not a holy day of obligation. Uh, we still have that, um, dis we still have the dispensation in effect. Uh, so even if it was a holy day of obligation, uh, Bishop Burns still has a dispensation for the pandemic. But um, what we're going to do, we're going to have 8 a.m. Mass. The school children will have the 8 a.m. Mass. I think they're going to dress up in their saint costumes at the 8 a.m. Mass. Uh, the second graders, I think, typically do that, or first graders. We'll have music, and it will be very nice. And then at 6 p.m., we'll also have music. Uh, we'll have our choir come and, and sing for that particular Mass and uh, have a, a great celebration. Beautiful. Well, and you know, let me ask you a question about this. So we have All Saints Day, which generally speaking is a holy day of obligation. So I would say in normal times, the church is packed. Um, and then you have All Souls Day, so which is not a holy day of obligation. Would you say that you have like, on a normal year when there's no pandemic, would you say that we have the same number of people who attend each of those celebrations or is one significantly larger than the other? Yes. Normally when it's a holy day of obligation, most people... Uh, the majority of people would come to um, the Feast of All Saints or Slim D of All Saints. So, um, and All Souls would be much less. And so for All Souls Day, this is a day that we're honoring and praying for all those who have died, um, praying for them. And I know that here at St. Joseph, we have a special service, I think focused toward people who have lost someone specifically within the last year. Is that correct, Father? Yes. So we're actually going to do something we have that service. It'll be at 7 p.m. and actually it'll be a full mass, but there will also be a remembrance of the dead as part of that and um, where someone can, the, na the name will be called of the deceased person. And it's almost like a roll call of those who have passed away. And then a member of the family will come forward and light uh, a candle and honor and remembrance of that particular person. Uh, I remember last year, you know, um, I remember 
this same woman came forward like four times because four members of her family mm-hmm. had passed away and um, at the beginning of the COVID epidemic. And so, but uh, it is powerful for me as a, as a priest, having seen all these different people uh, and their experiences and, and walking with them uh, and, and knowing their pain and their hurt. And, and uh, now I'm there with them in that, that moment where we're, uh, honoring their loved one and remembering their loved one. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful celebration that we have. And this year it's going to be at 7 p.m. We're, we're probably going to have a lot more people this year because um, from January 1st until now, we've done 91 different funeral wow. uh, engagements here at St. Joseph. So it's been, uh, we've been very, very busy with funerals. Um, but the other thing that we're going to be doing new this year, which I'm kind of excited about, um, is that we're going to have our first mass at the columbarium. So um, I'm going to set up an altar right in the center of the columbarium. Of course, our columbarium is the place where we put cremated remains of our loved ones. And I'm going to put an altar right in the center, and we're going to have mass there. And I'd like this to be a tradition that we do every single year. It's a traditional thing on All Souls Day for a priest to celebrate mass at a cemetery. Wow. And this is um, in, in remembrance of all those who have passed away at the cemetery. So we have a cemetery right here on campus with our columbarium and how appropriate it is to be able to to remember all those in the columbarium and, and to pray for them. That's beautiful. I, I was actually thinking that in the past, our labyrinth ministry has had a special walk on All Souls Day in remembrance of those who were interned there. So is this, is that still going to take place or is this uh, mass that you're doing is that a, an addition to what we've been doing in the past? Yeah, I'm sure we'll. It's an addition. I'm sure that the Labyrinth Ministry will uh, will promote the the walk as well. Of course, anyone can make that walk, uh, just not at noon. <laughs> 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 From noon to one, or probably about eleven thirty to to twelve forty five, the the walk won't be able be made, but uh, before and after that, certainly. You know, I think this whole idea of um, All Souls Day is something that's so beautiful, and there's so many different ways that we can honor and remember those who have gone before us. As you mentioned earlier, the in the Latin American um, countries, they have the celebration of Dia de los Muertos, which oftentimes the families will create an altar within their home where they put the pictures of their loved ones who passed away. They'll decorate it. They'll oftentimes put even the favorite food of that person there, you know, as a memory to them. Um, and while there's prayer that takes place in the home, they also go to the cemetery and they visit. And there's so much rich culture there that I think a lot of people are probably um, have seen now because of that Disney movie that they did this last oh, couple of years. Coco. Yes. That was a fantastic movie. Yeah, I enjoyed it. What did yeah. you think of it? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I, I thought it was so beautiful. Just and and just the the point behind that whole story is, you know, to to continue on the stories, to have people carried on in our memories, to keep them alive. I thought that was so beautiful. Yes, absolutely. And you know, I think that's so important that to even with especially with uh, the people that we have lost, um, that regular visit to the cemetery. You know. One of the things I love about the columbarium is uh, every Saturday evening, I see this uh, whole group of parishioners. Um, they happen, happen to be Vietnamese, but they, as a family, they go to their their places at the, at the columbarium and they pray for their loved ones. They remember their loved ones. And how cool is that? I think that is just so great. Um, and I think that's why in the month of November, we should all go to the cemeteries and where our loved ones are and, and to go and pray there. Uh, 
typically a lot of times as time goes by, we, we may forget or we may lessen our visits, but it's so important for us to remember and to, um, the people that have gone before us. You know, Father Jason, I have a question for you. Um, you know, a big part of this, it's not just the remembering, but it's praying for them and for their souls. You know, what does the church teach about purgatory? You know, is that, is that I know like limbo, they said that's not a thing anymore, no, but purgatory, no. that's something that I believe our catechism talks about. So what is our duty as Christians? Um, you know, is it our responsibility to pray for people who have died? Yeah, so absolutely is our responsibility. It's actually, um, what is purgatory? It's a process of getting someone ready to enter into, into the perfection of heaven. So purgatory is a hopeful place. Um, it may be painful. <laughs> it is painful because it's, there's, we're, we're letting go of the things that we've been attached to our own selfishness, our own pride that can't be present whenever we went, we enter into heaven but it's very hopeful because that whole process of um, purgatory is going to end up with us entering heaven. So we don't say it's a place. There's only two destinations upon death. We either go to heaven or we go to hell. Um, but purgatory is that process that prepares us to go to heaven. And to me, I think it gives me a lot of hope here on earth because, you know, I'm far from being perfect and there's still a lot of attachments within me and I have a long way to go to be able to purge that right now and on earth. And uh, purgatory is that process of mercy that God provides for us so that we can um, move through and, and be ready to be perfected in heaven. So um, what does that look like? I mean, we've, we've had images of everything from fires <laughs> um, you know, you could almost, I've heard people say, you know, it's like someone who is going through, uh, who's been burned all over their body and they're going through skin grafts, right? And uh, that skin grafting is uh, very hopeful. You know that you're going to be okay in the end. Uh, you'll have skin and all that, but it's not pleasant um, when someone's scraping off the old um covering so that your skin can heal and not be infected, right? Um, I have a little bit more pleasant way of looking at it, um, and I don't know if I'm deluding myself, but I, I, I think imagining um, the love of your life, the one that you're head over heels for, the one that you can't stand to be apart from is in the room next door, and you're in the shower, and the door's locked, and you're not going to leave the shower until you're fully perfected and clean, and you don't know when that will be. And so you're just stuck there, but you know, the love and you can hear the voice of your lover in the other room. And you're just in pain and anguish because you know, you'll be able to see, um, the beloved, but you're not there yet. Right. You know, that, that interest, that image of purgatory, you know, is interesting because I think growing up, my, my image of purgatory was definitely a little more fearful, you know, is what is that going to be like that separation from not only God, but also your loved ones as you go through that process and how long is it going to take? You know, am I going to be here longer than my mom or my dad or my siblings? You know, I, I think as a child, it, it caused more fear in me. And now when I think about it, Father Jason, I kind of think a little bit of what your, your images is, is I'm going to see God like, I'm not worthy to be in his presence. Like I need 
to be cleaned. I need to have that purification, whatever that looks like. And so I think now I don't necessarily focus on, will that hurt? (laughs) But more of just in order to be able to be in his presence, like without shame and just to be there, um, I know that I'm not ready for that. So there, I think there's more of like a hope filled, you know, what does that look like that process? Um, but, and you know, the, the thing is, is that the only way to expedite that process is through our prayers, right? So a person who's in the process of purgatory, they can't speed it up through their own, um, abilities, their own prayers or whatever, right? Um, it's going to be this, it's going to take whatever time it needs to take. Of course, they're entering the moment of eternity. So, I mean, what is time and eternity, but that's just beyond our comprehension. But the church has always taught that it's our prayers that, um, allow for someone to move through that process in a more rapid way. Right. So that's why we pray. That's why it's so important for every person that dies. We don't have a remembrance of life, but we have a mass that we for every single person that passes. And and it's important to have funerals, not just to remember the person, but to pray for the person so that they move through the process of of purgatory and they can um, maybe even if we can uh, allow just that small opening so that they begin that process and not go to that other place we call hell. You know, this, this whole, um, you know, there's some early church teachings on purgatory, the story of the martyrdom of St. Perpetua and Felicity, beautiful uh, story where, um, St. Perpetua was uh, imprisoned because of her Catholic faith. And she had a dream one night and she saw her, her brother and her brother was trying to reach for a bowl and the bowl was full of water and he was all disfigured and all dirty. And it was in kind of anguish. And he just knew that if he reached that water, that he would um, be healed and, and cleansed. And, and St. Perpetua took it upon herself to say, you know what, I need to pray for my brother right now. Her brother had died from cancer uh, a couple years prior. So she earnestly fasted and prayed for, for him over the next day when he, when she was in the prison. And the following night, she had another powerful uh, dream that showed her brother kind of in glory, right? Uh, all cleansed, radiating, uh, no, no dirt and no sign of disfigurement or disease. And, and he was in the, in the water and, uh, and it was as if he said, thank you to her. So from the very beginning, we have this, and even the book of Maccabees, we have this, this sense so that we do pray for the deceased so that they can enter that eternal glory. What a beautiful image. I've never heard of that. And just how powerful it is the fact that your prayers can do that. And does it matter, Father Jason, does the church teach, you know, specifically you need to pray one rosary or this, and or is it just any prayers? Like remembering them, as you said, even fasting, is anything better than nothing or is there a better form that we need to do? Well, the mass is the best. <laughs> so, you know, uh, going to mass and offering your intention for the person in your life, uh, whether they're living or whether they're deceased, that's the best form of prayer. Entering the mass wholeheartedly, being at the foot of the cross and bringing to Jesus on the cross um, through the altar your particular prayers and intercessions for loved ones. That's by far the best. Um, any other prayers are are part of that. We do have prayers called indulgences, um, which are connected with the what we call the mystical body of Christ and, and through the the Pope, um, basically the communion of saints and, and through the Pope and his, his authority. And, um, 
and when we do those particular things, uh, uh, in union with him and, uh, a state of, of grace that allows, uh, that's a powerful prayer as well. Sometimes you hear these stories about if you do this, you'll get 10 days off purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of laugh about that because that's our human imagination. A lot of, a lot of nuns would say that uh, back in the day, you know, and a lot of our listeners might remember that, but uh, you know, what, what, what is time when you're in the realm of eternal, you know, we just can't understand that. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to put our, our, our temporal understanding into something that's beyond us. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I, I don't know about our listeners, but I definitely feel more of a sense of urgency of, um, you know, am I doing my response, my duties as, uh, a granddaughter, uh, praying for my family members who have gone before those that I love, um, you know, this is a great time to remember them, but not even just once a year in our regular prayers. Are we remembering them? Are we bringing them to the Lord and praying for them? So um, I definitely feel, uh, I feel inspired to pray for them more and hopefully our, our listeners do as well. You know, I think something to bring this to the home, uh, you can set up little, especially in the month of November, um, uh, set up little a, a little prayer space or a little altar where you can have a, a couple of, of your photos of your deceased loved ones and you have a couple candles and you can go there and, and pray in our father and hell Mary and glory be each day for them. Uh, I think as a family, you can go to the cemetery together um, uh, or you could participate in one of our liturgical activities here at St. Joseph. I, I know we're going to have a communal uh uh, altar for Dia de los Muertos and a novena for Dia, Dia, Dia de los Muertos. And so you could bring your loved one's picture so they, they can be re- remembered. Um, I do think, Emily, that every November, it the church reminds us that this is important. So let's refocus on that, right? So at the very least, each November, we, we remember uh, our loved ones and, and continue that. Wonderful. Well, Father Jason, I think it's just about that time to maybe introduce the different tools that we have for our families. Sure. All right. So the from my takeaway from our conversation today, um, first of all, speaking about Halloween, um, let's reclaim that. You know, I challenge all of our families to try something different this year. You know, maybe have your children dress up as saints. Uh, for whatever Halloween festivities you choose to do as a family. And even parents, you can dress up too. It doesn't have to be just your children. So that would be my challenge for you, number one. And I would take that one more. I love what you said about handing all saints cards out. <laughs> so, you know, that would be my, you know, if you want to and one it, there we go. That's an and one. <laughs> all right. And so for All Saints Day, um, you know, I would encourage if you feel comfortable to attend mass. It's not a holy day of obligation uh, this year, given our circumstances, but it is a day of solemnity. So we encourage you to attend if you can online or in your own home, um, maybe bring up and do a litany of the saints within your family prayer time. And my N one on that, I'm doing lots of <laughs> <Love> N <N1s>. ones. <laughs> so I think families should talk about their favorite saints on all saints day, right? I think that's a very particular day, maybe around the dinner table where you, you all do a little uh, description about a saint that has been excited uh, that you've gotten to know and you've become to uh, love uh, over the last little while. You know, and that's a great opportunity just to help get kids ready for whenever they have to choose a saint for confirmation. It seems like oftentimes they don't even know who's out there, what their options are. So learning about it, that would be a great, a great opportunity. Um, for All Souls Day, 
take the time to honor your loved ones in your life, whether that's lighting a candle for them, visiting the cemetery, creating an altar, like Father Jason mentioned, um, walking the labyrinth. There's so many different ways, but find a way to honor those in your life who've passed away. Is there an un- and one on that one? <laughs> you know, I don't have an and one on that. That sounds great. Well, no, I'll do it. And one. Okay. Pa- part of the honoring is to, to tell stories, tell stories uh, with your loved ones about those who have passed away, you know, and, uh, and if you're, if you're in the younger generation, uh, actively listen and ask questions about the, the ones that are being told. Great. And the, the final one that I have on there is just, our prayers are important as we've just discussed. And oftentimes there are people in this, in this world and the afterlife who don't have people to pray for them. So I would say, take time to pray for all souls, you know, those who passed away within your parish community, um, those who are forgotten, um, pray for them that they may be able to see our Lord in heaven one day. Absolutely. You know, one of the ways that we do that, a traditional way is at the end of meals, after we have eaten, uh, a lot of times a, a prayer would be said, may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God, rest in peace. It'd be a great way to finish up mealtime in the month of November. Beautiful. I've never heard that before. And I'm going to have to go Google it and print it out so we can say it. Well, Emily, this has been great. Uh, you know, these days are, are fantastic days. I, I enjoy the fall and I enjoy um, the fact that uh, we're able to focus on All Saints Day and All Souls Day. And and, and, and I like candy, too. So, I mean, it's, it's a he good deal. He loves chocolate. <laughs> Dark chocolate, uh, sea salt. <laughs> no, no. So, um, no, so it's it's fantastic to, to be able to talk about this. And it's it's fun to see uh, families enjoying uh, this day in a, in a holy and good way. Steer, steer away from the macabre and the ugly, but, and, but let's Christianize these days and live them to the full. Great. I love that challenge. And we hope and pray that all of you take that on. We thank you so much for listening to this episode of St. Joseph's Workshop. Remember, we are all a work in progress. So be sure to tune in next time to gain new tools to help you build the church at home. And may mighty God bless each of you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.